Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Autonomia, the show where we bring ideas from the libertarian left to everyday people and foster conversation on what we believe in hopes of proving that we all have far more in common than we are trained to believe. My name is Hayward, and I am your host. As always, our intro and outro music come from a song called A Bigger Cage is Still a Prison by System Failure. If you'd like to look up this song, the band spells system, C-I-S-T-E-M, for political reasons. There's nothing I want more than to sleep under the night sky Hear the animals as they go about their lives Feel the fire warm my body, feel the mud under my toes But tonight this cell keeps me in Hey folks, so I'm just jumping in quickly to let you know that due to the unexpected length of this uh, installment, I'm actually going to be breaking it up by subject. So the Prager University video that I'm responding to has six points to outline the thesis that the left and liberals are separate, which of course I agree with, but I wanted to give a response point by point to these in order to provide what I think is more useful context to actually understanding the differences rather than just having sort of a, uh, an oversimplified and uh, greatly decontextualized representation of these differences. So I try to be pretty brief in most of these descriptions, and of course these are my opinions based on observations that I've seen throughout my life and uh, conversations I've had with people that have actually told me what they're about and why. So because I didn't want to make this like an hour and a half long installment, and I try not to test the patience of you nice people too much, I wanted to keep these installments pretty digestible and easy to follow. So I'll be releasing um, installments throughout the course of the next couple of weeks as I go through the editing process of stitching all the clips together, getting rid of bloopers and all that kind of stuff. This is the first installment, and there will be several following just as soon as I can get them edited and published. I hope you find this interesting, I hope you find this informative, and I hope this motivates you to look and think more deeply about issues that we usually just take for granted. I want to climb over these rooftops, and over these fences, and escape to the places none of these guys would go. So I was actually not planning on launching another installment for about another week. Uh, I was hoping to talk about healthcare and unionism with someone locally who is quite knowledgeable on both of those things. However, this morning I saw something from a site which some of you may be familiar with called Prager University. Uh, I have some buddies in Right Wing Talk Radio who have Dennis Prager on, I think, uh, sometime during the weekends. He's a pretty commonly known figure on the right-wing media landscape, and it's quite possible that some of you are well aware of him. Naturally, being from the left end of things, I have uh, critiques on quite a bit of what he has to say, and to me and a lot of people in my persuasion, it really looks like a lot of cherry-picking of facts and uh, ignoring critical context 
and uh, basically stitching together a narrative based on half-truths that suits his political leanings. That's my opinion, um, and I hope as we're moving forward we can back it up a little bit. So, I recently saw a video from PragerU, and it claimed that there is a difference between left and liberals. And naturally, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So I was very curious to see what he said about that, wondering how is he going to spin this to uh, suit his narrative, which of course I'm going to uh, hopefully suit my narrative and hopefully not spin things too much, but plenty of folks in the media claim to uh, not spin things. We all have heard of the no-spin zone. Anyway, I'm going to go more or less point by point in an attempt to address and respond to a lot of the key points made in this video in hopes that you might see future PragerU videos with a more critical lens, because I think we should view everything, including everything I'm about to say to you today, through a critical lens. It's very important for us to not just take something we hear as immediate fact, but research it, figure out if it really makes sense, figure out if it's really true, figure out if there's a part or a piece of the story that's missing that could give you a clearer picture of what's going on. And you may en end up deciding you don't agree with a piece of information or, uh, or a fact or an opinion, but at the very least you understand it now. And, that was, and that's better than you were at a few minutes before. I try to do this myself, which is why I spend a tremendous amount of time researching the right and existing within the right-wing media landscape because I want to hear what these folks are saying. I want my views to be challenged constantly by the views of others. I want to be in a, in a position of constantly reevaluating my perspectives and constantly finding ways to get closer to what I believe to be true and to what I believe to be good for this world and its inhabitants. So I guess without further ado, we can get into the video. So I'm going to start breaking it down point by point from beginning to end and hopefully giving you uh, a bit more of a critical lens toward Prager University because I certainly think you should have one. The first claim that's made in this video by Dennis Prager is that the liberals and the left have almost nothing in common. I'm not quite sure I would say that. I would say that they're related ideologies on perhaps a social level, but they have very stark differences as far as uh, economic policy goes. A lot of people will say a liberal falls on the right-wing side of the political compass simply because it views uh, that it can keep capitalism or reform it, but it doesn't have to necessarily be moved away from as a society, which is more of a leftist position. He then goes on to say that the left has appropriated the language of liberalism so well that it's confused everyone, left, right, and center, to believe that left and liberal are the same thing. They aren't the same. Having spent a lot of time in the right-wing space, a decent amount of time in the liberal space, and a ton of time in the leftist space, Short of Dennis Prager, pretty much the only people that I've known to be aware that there's a difference between leftists and liberals are leftists. So I'm not so sure that it could be argued that they are trying to conflate left and liberal because leftists spend a lot of time trying to challenge this stereotype because it doesn't help us. 
that's not something that most of us would try to perpetuate because it automatically puts us in a position of confusion with people when we're trying to get a point across. I mean, I, I can't remember how many times I've started arguing leftist points that many of which align with liberalism, but as soon as I start talking toward more explicit leftist points, it confuses people to no end because they say, oh, wait, why would you support that? I thought you were a liberal. I said, no, I've never claimed to be a liberal. I'm a leftist. As the video goes on, Dennis Prager brings up six examples to prove his thesis that liberals and leftists are not the same. The first of these is race. He says that the liberal position is that the color of a person's skin is insignificant and thinking that it is, is racist. He then claims that to the left, this very belief is in and of itself racist. Now that might sound a little bit strange until you actually explore the idea a little bit more and understand what they're getting at when they say that this is racist. While leftists believe in the fundamental equality of all racial groups, what they're getting at is that a person's skin color, as it exists in our society now, matters. And to ignore that is to support the structures that allow those biases to continue. You can sort of understand this by thinking about all the times you've heard people say, I don't see color. And while that in and of itself is almost always meant as a good faith statement of saying, I have no biases against you because of your skin color, that also gestures toward your willing, sort of a willing ignorance toward the continuing racial biases within our society today. Imagine being in a position 50, 60 years ago where black folks are being put through a tremendous amount of oppression actively by the state. And if you were to say something like, oh, race doesn't matter, that's a very different statement than saying, I believe you should have equal rights and I believe that you should have all the same treatments and privileges that I have. If you're saying something like race doesn't matter in a time where it clearly matters what race you're born into, because you're going to be subjected to different conditions, that's a statement of willful ignorance, and it's a statement that lends power and legitimacy to a system that treats people differently based on their race. Now, if you bring it to nowadays, you, you have a lot of people saying that we have arrived at full racial equality, and most of those folks are white folks that say that. Not everyone, but most of them are white folks that say that. And it's a lot easier to hold that belief if you don't exist in a place where you are seeing the remnants of those biases, both structural and in society, to this day. Think about back in 2014 when people started to say Black Lives Matter. A lot of people thought this was a racist statement because it was focusing attention on black folks. A lot of people took it to mean black lives matter more, which is never what they were arguing, and it never will be what they're arguing. They felt as if they were not being treated with equal value, and in so doing, they responded by saying black lives matter because they felt that under this system, they don't matter. And white liberals 
and I saw this firsthand when I was in California, began responding with, all lives matter, which is, of course, true. We also believe that all lives do, in fact, matter. But what that serves to do is shift the conversation away from structural biases that remain in our culture today. It's almost as if you had two houses next to each other. One of them is on fire, and you were to say, this house is on fire, this house matters, and your neighbor comes up and says, well, actually, all houses matter. I mean, yes, that is true. All houses do matter, but this one's on fire. So maybe we can talk about this one right now. Because if we actually believe that all houses matter, then you should probably care that this one's on fire. So when you make a statement like race is completely irrelevant, it either shows that one, you're not aware that there are still structural biases in this country today, and that those actually make a material difference in a person's life and opportunities, or, as some people intentionally do, are trying to shift the conversation away from exposing those problems within our society. If we're having a discussion on something, why can't we address those issues without immediately deflecting to something else? Consider the message it sends when someone is telling you that there's a serious problem happening and you respond with a statement that basically says, well, there's problems everywhere. It's not a great way to have a conversation with someone. And it's not a great way to get to the root of what's bothering that person. So Dennis Prager says it is racist to think that race matters in society today. But what he's doing is deliberately, I assume, obfuscating the point of saying there are still biases in our society today. Race is still relevant to the material conditions of your life. And if you don't believe that, how many of you folks are getting in line to be a minority? It's a fairly common talking point on the right to talk about the white folks becoming a minority in this country. And you wouldn't necessarily be afraid of that unless at some level you thought that minorities are not treated well in this country, or at the very least not treated equally. And, it, and if you are able to recognize that minorities are not treated equally in this country, then you should be able to recognize that race is still important because it is still a factor in our society. Should it not be someday? Absolutely. But you don't get there by telling someone who's suffering we're beyond it. You don't get there by telling someone who has worse conditions based on the color that they were born that color doesn't matter. Because clearly it matters to them because it affects them and that shouldn't be the case. And you don't get to solving that by pretending that it isn't an issue. So yeah, the leftist position on race is in fact, yeah, race is still important. But it isn't to say that we don't believe in racial equality. What he's doing here is deliberately conflating two different things to paint a narrative that makes it seem as if it's racist to believe that race is still a factor within our society. People are not treated equally on the basis of their skin color, and that has to change. Dennis goes on with his idea that leftists and liberals have different views on race. He elaborates on his point by saying that liberals are committed to racial integration. And this is true. But think about what we were talking about earlier. A lot of liberal views on race are centered around ignoring that a problem is there. A lot of liberal views are centered around saying everything is great, we're all equal, we're all the same, race doesn't exist, and let's just get on with it. But if you take that position before you've actually made sure that race is equal, and you've actually gone 
to, through the time to make sure your society treats people with zero difference based on the color of their skin, then what you're doing at that point is making sure that it never changes. Without full equality and equal value under the law of the different racial groups in this country, without that, moving forward and saying that there has to be full integration in this country is to force people to give up part of themselves. If you don't have full equality and full equal value under the law of every different group in this country, then integration becomes assimilation and assimilation becomes annihilation. If your system doesn't value everyone equally and what you're doing is integrating someone into that system, that's not the same thing as changing that system or abolishing it if necessary to make sure that everyone is given equal value. I'm going to jump into a little bit of history quickly just to sort of give you an idea of where someone might be coming from when they don't necessarily support total and often forced integration before, during, and even after the Civil War. People that had freed themselves from slavery didn't necessarily feel welcome in American society once they had escaped. What did they do? Well, some of them went off to live in the woods. Some of them met up with and intermarried with local native tribes, but they didn't necessarily want to assimilate and integrate with American society because of what American society had done to them. I'm not about to sit here and say that everyone has to integrate with American society, especially when American society still does not treat everyone with equal value. To some degree, forcing people to integrate who don't want to integrate is almost as bad as forcing people to be apart. So listener, if like me, you're a white dude, or you know, white in general, consider this. How would you feel about a country that brought your ancestors over here in chains, piled on top of their neighbors for a months-long journey across the ocean and dumped you in a foreign land where you were expected to work for no pay and be the property of some land-owning aristocrat? How would you feel if that happened for hundreds of years? How would you feel once you got out of that? Folks went around lynching your family members for decades and decades. And how would you feel if a full century later you got some really basic, basic rights within that country? But still, on a day-to-day -day basis, you encounter the remnants of that oppression. You might feel inclined to be with the people that understand that suffering, that understand that marginalization, and can support each other in their shared struggle. It doesn't sound so ridiculous that people might want to be with folks that understand them. Voluntary self-segregation is not the same thing as a government it forcing people to be apart. There is a very big difference than, as Prager brings up, black dorms, black colleges, and apartheid. There's a huge difference there. And to compare the two is just ridiculous. Like, when he talks about us being pro-segregation, it's he's deliberately using old terminology that we associate, and rightfully so, with a terrible time in American history. And he's conflating us with that to prop up this extremely faulty narrative that he's trying to paint. And it's not okay. So, obviously, the issue of race, especially in this country, is an extremely loaded topic. 
and when you bring it into the difference between leftists and liberals on this, it gets only more complicated. What I've tried to do here is to give you a really simple, bare-bones understanding, a sort of jumping-off point to explore the differences and explore more closely where you fit. Naturally, being a leftist, I am much more sympathetic to the idea that we should talk about problems in our society and say that they are important and say that they matter as a means of finding a way to actually address them. I happen to be very sympathetic to the idea that if you simply use the language and deny that something is even there or that something is even a problem, you guarantee that it will never be fixed or resolved. And folks like me, my life would go on just fine if we just ignored the continuing issues of race in our country because I'm not affected by them. But people I care about are affected by them. So I'm going to acknowledge these issues and I'm going to talk about these issues because they're important to me, because they're important to people that I care about. Because for other people in this country, it can be an issue of life or death. It can be an issue of getting passed over for a scholarship or a job. It can be the difference between a warning and a ticket. It can be the difference between a plea deal and a prison sentence. It can be the difference between get being given a couple of extra seconds and being dead on the ground. These issues are important. These are issues that I believe we should care about. And these are issues that I believe we should name. Because I don't believe we're going to make any sort of progress if we pretend a problem isn't there. I hope you found this interesting. I hope you found this informative. And I hope this encourages you to actually seek out people in your friend groups that will have a far more intimate understanding of this than I ever could. Most of what I'm saying, I'm relaying from people that gave me their first-hand experience. Go talk to people and ask how they feel. Their answers might surprise you. And if someone tells you something that you find uncomfortable, rather than reacting in an immediately defensive way, maybe consider where they're coming from. You might find that you'll have a much closer understanding of that person you call a friend than you had before. And maybe that friend gets the idea that you actually really care about them. And that's something I think we all should strive for. Thank you for listening. Cause there's nothing I want more than to sleep under the night sky The animals as they go about their lives Fill a fire warm my body, fill the mud under my toes But tonight this hell keeps me enclosed For if we don't have our freedom, if we are captured by their iron hands Then the vision for fire, it burns so much more bright no justice in the system A bigger cage is still a prison Well I hope That somewhere Someone breaks free Tonight